Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, mental health, and wellness, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com or call 1-800-900-8476. Friend, have you heard the news? I'm officially releasing my first book this summer with Dayspring Publishing. It feels wild saying that, but I have been behind the scenes writing away and it is happening. It's called Worthy, 50 Mindful Moments to Bring Peace and Clarity to Your Day. And honestly, it is the book that I've been wanting to read. Listen, have you found yourself feeling more anxious and overwhelmed in today's cultural climate? Has the modern social media world and hustle culture left you on a roller coaster of feeling insecure and inadequate no matter how much you do? Or do you tend to struggle with people pleasing in order to feel valuable and worthy? You are certainly not alone. Many of us have been struggling at the intersection of our faith and our mind in today's world. So whether you need a total digital detox or just a little more balance, I've truly aimed to gather the information and inspiration to help you feel a little more refreshed, more clear, and more at peace within each day. These 50 faith-inspired devotions are integrated with helpful psychological tips and insights to reset each day with a grounded mind and spirit. I wish you had this in your hands in front of you because you'll see that it has a beautiful, simplistic design with short yet impactful messages of peace and clarity, along with inspirational quotes and affirmations and mental health trackers, so readers will be able to declutter your mind, check in with your mental health, and focus on how to show up with intention for each day. In essence, this interactive devotional is designed to help you, one, practice a more grounded and internal sense of security. Two, realign with your values and convictions to show up confidently as your true self. Three, refresh your faith with the hope and peace of God's word. Four, develop the psychological tools to better cope with anxiety and overwhelm. And five, redefine the necessary boundaries for your overall mental, emotional, and spiritual health, and so much more. Within Worthy, get ready to reclaim your days with a sound mind to show up confidently for the life God has called you to live. You can grab the book on Amazon or dayspring.com or Barnes and Noble and really wherever books are sold. And the links to order will be in the show notes below. So be sure to check it out. Now let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you could spend your time here with us today. I'm just going to want to dive right into today's episode. Um, I'm super excited that we're talking about attachment styles in relationship to our relationship with God and our faith. 
you know, we've talked about attachment styles before. If you want to take a listen in our conversation with Dr. Christy Kadarian. And it's so funny because in that conversation, we were like, I wonder how this would affect our relationships with God. Like that should be something that someone writes about. That definitely should be a book. And then lo and behold, my good friend, Crispin Mayfield, has written a book about Attached to God. So he's joining us today. Hi, Crispin. How are you doing today? Good. I'm so excited to talk about attachment. So that's, you know, always makes for a good morning. I'm sure that's like your whole life right now is just talking about attachment styles and God. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes people get tired of talking about their book, but uh, really, I'm just glad to have people that are interested to talk about it um, <laughs> rather than the people in my life where I'm like, I'm obsessed with this concept. And they're like, yeah, we've heard this before. <laughs> like, you've been talking about this for years. It's okay. You can you can obsessively talk about it with us here. We, we love these conversations. Um, like I said, it was just so funny because we were literally talking about attachment styles and attachment theory. And then we were like, yeah, somebody should write a book about attachment to God. And here you are. And you came out with your book and I have it right here in my hands. And I was just really stoked that someone went into the, uh, the research and the diligence of looking more into this. So for starters, for those who aren't familiar with you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you into this kind of faith attachment work? Yeah, I am a therapist in Portland, Oregon, and I specialize working with couples. Um, I'm trained in emotionally focused therapy, which is a couples therapy that's based in attachment. And really this idea of like, we all have this core drive to connect with the people that are close to us. Um, And so uh, that's a bit of my background. But it was even before I got that training that I was looking at attachment literature and I was seeing this this drive to to connect. Uh, you know, we started seeing this with babies and their mothers, right? They have all these strategies. Like, I need to be close to mom. These are my strategies to get close. Um, and and so then we found that uh, adults do this as well with their romantic partners, and then it's kind of spread from there. Um, and we've looked at all these different ways, really. This is just such a deep drive and, and in, in certain contexts can be a deeper drive than even need for food or shelter or uh, protection. Um, really just this. And, and I think that reflects theologically that God uh, is in relationship with us, with God's self. Um, you know, connection is just like the, at the heart of my theology. And so it just made so much sense that we have this deep drive to connect with others. And so then I was I was researching what are these strategies we use to connect. And then I was sitting in church and I was like, oh, like in the same way that we can observe like infants and how they try to get connection with their mothers. Um, I'm seeing like kind of like a researcher, like sitting in the back, <laughs> sort of looking at like, what are the ways that we try to get that connection with God? And what are the ways that work well? Oh, and no. what are the ways that okay. don't work as well? Um, so that's really where it comes from is, is reading the, the research. Um, and then as I was digging in, cause there is research around attachment to God. This isn't me just saying like, here's an analogy. Um, there actually is research mm-hmm. that's been done out there. Um, and they have said, uh, the researchers have said, you know, in a lot of ways, 
um, our relationship with God is the closest attachment relationship we have, uh, similar to parents, right? Um, with partners or yeah. friends, there's a sense of mutuality. Um, with God, there really is this sense of like, you are greater, stronger, you know, more wise, like you take care of me, I don't take care of you. And so um, it's been a really fun thing to explore. Yeah, gosh, I find this so interesting. I already find attachment styles really interesting and how they reflect in our lives and our relationships. And then just even reflecting on how people relate to God differently. You know, some people see God as this kind of cosmic tyrant who Mm -hmm. is there to guilt and shame them. Some people see God as this loving, you know, person, this loving deity full of grace, you know, full of forgiveness and mercy and compassion. Um, Some people see God as like, you are not worthy. You know, you are depraved and sinful and it's only by him that you're worth anything. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. I can see across the spectrum that people have developed different types of attachment and how they relate to God and how they believe God relates to them. And Mm -hmm. that certainly affects I, everything, I'm sure, it affects your mental health. It affects the way you relate to others. It affects the way you view your faith and connect mm-hmm. to others. So I think this is so interesting. So, okay, let's get into this. So for those who um, maybe didn't hear our original episode on attachment, could, could we talk just very briefly about what attachment styles are? Um, for those who are listening yeah. and they're like, when you say attachment, what do you mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for those that are somewhat familiar, um, well, I'll, I'll just start at the beginning. Um, we've basically, when they were doing this research, they found that some kids were securely attached and some were insecurely attached. And the secure kids um, knew in this like deep way mom is there for me because they were looking specifically at mothers in the study mom is there for me I can trust mom to be there when I need her so if I'm upset I'll go to mom but that means that I can go and explore my little world I can go to the other side of the room uh, because I don't have to worry like is mom gonna like leave you know without telling me Um, and I guess this would be a great time to say this is in an experiment setting. This is not the same as leaving your kid as at daycare. Um, and, um, and really you just have to get it right 50% of the time during those times when your kid needs you. So as we're talking through this, if you're a parent and you're feeling anxious about like, did I screw up my kid? Um, (laughs) I'm talking about some research, um, and we're not talking about like, you know, doing the same experiment when you drop your kid off at daycare. Um, so I, I just want to give that little disclaimer. Um, but what they found was there were these infants that, um, that could, you know, just had this inherent, not inherent, they had learned that their mom was going to be there for them so they could trust and so they could go on with their day. They didn't really have to worry too much about how to get connection. That's one category. Then there's another category of kids that they found were insecure that had to spend some energy making sure that they got this connection with their mom that they really needed. Um, And then within that category, there were these different patterns that they saw, which is where we get these attachment styles. And um, I'm less interested in the secure versus insecure 
because as humans, we all dip into insecurity sometimes. So nobody is, you know, no one is secure all the time. Um, You know, those categories work well for research, but for real life, it's a better question to ask when I'm feeling insecure, what are the, what are the patterns in my life that I go back to? And that's where we find these three insecure attachment styles. So really we're asking when you feel insecure in relationships, what are the strategies you use? And so I've looked at three of those um, that come out of the research. And so, um, and this is 50, 60 years of research by now. Um, So it was really neat to have this breadth of, you know, we've called it attachment theory, but um, we're starting to call it attachment science because um, really it's, it's, you know, the research is there. Um, And so, yeah, Yeah. we'll look at anxious, shut down and shame filled being those three styles. I know I'm throwing a lot of information out there, but no, um, this is great because you're segueing right into what I was going to ask you, which was, you know, what are the three attachment styles, you know, of spirituality and like, how do they affect mm-hmm. our faith and relationship with God? Yeah. And I'll, I'll give kind of a picture of like, what does this look like in romantic relationships to kind of like yeah. ground you in something maybe you've seen and then go to like. And then here's, you know, what this looks like with God. So the first is anxious. And this is that person that's really clingy and uh, really worried about the relationship. Um, You know, I texted you two minutes ago and you haven't texted back what's wrong. And from the outside, this looks like, oh, my gosh, this person is so needy. You know, um, they're really exhausting. Um, Maybe you are that person. I am that person sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's real. Right, exactly. But what's going on inside is is for that person is I'm not worthy enough to for you to stick around. It's up to me to make sure the relationship is okay. It's up to me to to cling to you to make sure you don't go away. I can't trust that you're just going to stick around and be there for me. And so when we think about that with God, what that often looks like is this sense of I need to perform if I'm going to keep you around. I don't I don't think that you're going to stick around just for me. I think that I have to do X, Y, and Z in order to keep this relationship. It feels like the relationship, the responsibility of the relationship totally falls on my shoulders. Mm, you have to consistently try to earn it. Earn God's mm-hmm. love. Earn your relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly trying to earn it. Right. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah. And... Um, you know, a, a lot of people would say, yeah, you know, we don't have to earn our salvation. Like, I know that. But then there's this other level of like, yeah, but if you want closeness with God, <laughs> you have to do these things. Right. Is often the message we're given. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing, but I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. 
Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. like very performative Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and as you're hearing this you might be able to think back through like what are some of the ways I've gotten this message I know for me um McGee and Me is this focus on the family video series that I watched when I was a kid. Um, so uh, if you grew up evangelical like me, you might might be familiar. And the first episode, um, the protagonist, uh, the main character is this kid. He's 11 years old. He lies about his neighbor. And in this debriefing conversation with his dad, his dad says, you know, lying is a problem because it hurts other people. But the real problem, the, the more serious part is that your sin can cut off your relationship with God. And so uh, I remember, you know, as a 10 year old watching that and being like, oh, no, like if I lie, like that means that I could lose this relationship. I need to be perfect if I'm, you know, if an 11 year old boy can lose their relationship with God by by making, you know, sinning and telling a lie about their neighbor, like that is such a precarious relationship and there's not a lot of security there. Like it's yeah. a thin line that can be, that can be broken, mm-hmm. you know, and then that makes it like our relationship with God is dependent on us and our works. And we know that that's, that's the right. opposite of what, right. what scripture says. Yeah. Okay. So for someone who has, for me, when I've like, taken my little attachment style quizzes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Apparently I leaned toward the dismissive attachment style, which Uh you I think refer to as like maybe the shutdown attachment Mm -hmm. style. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about what that might look like um, relationally, but then especially in a relationship with God? One thing that I, um, the, the, the book attached, which really 
familiarize so many of us with attachment Mm -hmm. styles that came out over 10 years ago. Um, Recently, one of the authors just just within the last few months was like, I wish that I had been more compassionate to the dismissive avoidant types and the way I'd written about it. Um, And I actually feel like, yeah, (laughs) I feel like I got a chance to do that in my book, um, in part because of the community I'm a part of. that's really attachment based. We really focus on understanding there is a reason why everyone does what they do. And so you look at that dismissive avoidant person and you're like, how is this an attachment strategy? How is this getting connection? If you are (laughs) shutting down your emotions, shutting down your needs, saying like, I'm totally fine on my own, you know, I can handle it myself. Um, But if you think about- Survival mechanism. Right, exactly. If you think about like, you know, you're four years old and you're on the playground and you skin your knee and you look back at mom, she's sitting there reading her book and you know, like I can go over to mom and I can get a hug, but she in her body is going to show annoyance, right? She's going to say, I'm sorry, but there's something in her that doesn't like when I cry, when I'm hurt. What you're going to learn is, okay, if I want to keep a good connection with mom, if I want to stay in mom's good graces, I just have to handle this on my own. And that's where that comes from. So you're just going to be like, all right, well, I'm going to go distract myself. Like my knee hurts, but it's better to have a hurt knee and take care of it myself than to go over to mom and feel like she's disappointed in me or she's, you know, ashamed of me or, or, you know, these rejecting messages. Especially if you are someone who like endured abuse or went through an abusive situation and you weren't protected, um, you may have learned that you have to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and that you have to protect yourself and figure things Mm -hmm. out for yourself because no one else is coming to your rescue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was something that I had to work Mm -hmm. through, you know, and then after becoming a single mom and really being like, okay, I really got to figure this out now for me and my kid got to survive, got to, you know, there's definitely, there are definitely reasons why, um, those Uh dismissive attachment styles come up and I can, I I just can't wait to hear how that relates to God because I have a feeling it has something to do with God. I got this. I hear you, (laughs) but I got this. (laughs) Uh Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, what you learn is, like, if no one's going to help me with my emotions when I'm struggling, Mm -hmm. my best strategy is just to shut them down, to just push them down, ignore them, suppress them. Um, It doesn't mean that those emotions aren't impacting me, (laughs) but... Um, but it just means like, I'm, that's my best strategy is just to pretend like they're not there. And, um, if you grew up in that sort of family system, you're learning like, okay, if I want to belong, if I want to have connection, then I need to pretend like I'm okay. And actually, uh, those infants with this attachment style would, uh, they would, um, do this little semicircle around mom that was like, not very, not too far and not too close. Cause they learned, If I get close to mom. That sounds about right. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. If I get close to mom, mom's like, go play. Like, you don't need me, you know, but they don't want to go too far either. So they've actually figured out, like, what's the perfect distance where I can get as close as I can to mom without getting rejected or without getting, you know, abused, basically. Right. Without Um, fully showing up as myself. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so it's just really heartbreaking to think about. These are one-year-olds that have already figured out, like, this is as close as I can get to mom without getting pushed away, you know? And so then you learn, like, yeah, I just yeah. need to be okay on my own. And then you go get into a faith where it's like, if you are sad or if you're depressed or if you're worried, that means that you don't have enough faith. Right. And so, again, your emotions, your emotional experience is a threat to your connection with God. It's taken as like this means that there's something wrong with me and wrong with my faith. And and God doesn't want to uh, get close to me if I'm if I'm feeling this way. Yeah, yeah, I I hear that, and that especially that that hyper independence from God mm-hmm. and all of those things. So, yeah, so this is really really interesting. Even just like how our relationship with our parents may be modeling how we relate to our relationship with God, mm-hmm. you know, as a father. Um, you know, you hear that a lot. Like, how does our relationship with our father affect? and project into our relationship with our heavenly father. Mm-hmm. Have you kind of dove into yeah. any part so, of that attachment? Yeah. So actually a lot of We're going to research... bring up all the daddy issues now. This is the part <laughs> well, where we. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. Um, a lot of the research shows that our um, image of God, which is really connected to attachment, like our, like what you were talking about earlier, like how we, what we think God is, like, uh, let me rephrase that. What we feel God is like, right, on a subconscious level, is generally connected to our relationship with our mother, um, mm. which is interesting. But again, that's re- that interesting. Yeah, and that's research, and that's like a higher percentage shows that. Um, you know, really, everyone's story is specific, and I think just asking that question about like all right, I wonder how the relationship with both of my parents and if you grew up in the church, mm-hmm. how did those experiences as well, like all, f- and then, you know, you can also look at like broader culture too. Like I, I have um, clients that um, are, have just gone through chronic trauma, chronic oppression, right? So people that have like been experiencing homelessness, their whole life. Right. Um, and just, or say drug addiction. Um, and they're in my office and they've maybe never been in church, but they're like, Oh yeah. Like God is punishing me. Like God, like I know that I screwed up. And, and so just to say like these messages about God can come from everywhere. Um, and you don't have to sit in church to get some of this theology that like God punishes the bad people and like rewards the good people. Um, and so, yeah, so there's so much there, but yes, uh, family of origin is like such a helpful thing to explore. Um, you know, what are the ways that the family I grew up with shaped the way that I view God? Yeah, that's where I find, um, scripture so healing, you know, actually in this idea that God has perfect love and his perfect love casts out all fear, specifically fear of punishment, you mm-hmm. know, and you relearn love actually through the heart and eyes of God. He says he's a father to the fatherless, you know, and he adopts you and, you know, his whole thing is 
he embraces us in a type of love that is really inhuman <laughs> in uh-huh. a way, yeah. um, which is really, really beautiful because it means that no matter what our relationship has looked like with our parents or, you know, and obviously that can't be replaced because that is our human family of origin. That's always going to affect us in some way. But this idea that there is a heavenly father whose love and relationship with us supersedes our humanly experiences and just covers us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much beauty and healing in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also yeah. that reshaping the way that we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. I I I was thinking about the Apostle Paul and how Paul is all always talking about like being a new like new person, you know? Yeah. And so often that's been taken to mean like we change our behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that I look right. at that is like our view of self and kind of like who we are in our heart, you know, you could say is really formed by the communities we're in. Right. So if you grew up in a family that tells you you're worthless, that doesn't make you worthless, but that's how you'll relate to yourself. And so, um, I think about then coming into this relationship with someone who loves us perfectly God, right, gives us a new view of ourselves, just like you were saying. And that's, I think, what makes it so healing, especially, I mean, families. But you you think about just like living in the society we live in where you're always given messages of like, you're not enough. Like you have to you have to perform to belong here. Like all those messages really takes a toll on us. And so what's it like to be in relationship with a God who just delights in us. You know, I love Henry Nouwen's work talking about like our spiritual work is to understand how beloved we are and, um, and to push away those voices that say you're not enough. Yeah. And when you're saying this, it even makes me think of how sometimes these these things aren't explicitly said, like a person might not explicitly say you're not worthy or you're not good enough, but you feel it in their actions, right? You are treated Mm -hmm. a certain way when you're doing more or you're more productive or whatever than you are treated when you maybe say you can't do something or you set a boundary mm-hmm. or maybe those who are overexerting themselves are uplifted more um, than those mm-hmm. who maybe have a better balance in their life. So they're not saying explicitly you have to do all these works to earn either your place in the church or your faith or what have you. But their actions and behaviors are kind of rewarding you that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Or even in a family home, you know, you're treated better with more, the more you achieve or what have you. Um, So I just wanted to put that out there that sometimes it's not, these things aren't explicitly said, but they're felt. Mm -hmm. And even just the feeling of that can internalize these messages for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And just to add on to that, that's connected to our, the, the, our attachment system is connected to our survival, like, yes. uh, system. And so, like, it really is, like, we attune so closely to, like, what is okay and what's not okay. Um, because Absolutely. Because basically, yeah, we're created to be in community, and that's such a beautiful thing. Um, but in a fallen world, what we found is like, oh, my survival is connected to being in this being in this community. So if there's a part of me that's not okay, like my emotions, like feeling sad isn't okay in my church. 
I'm going to learn to just shut that down so that I can stay a part of the community. Yeah, and I actually wasn't going to dive into this part, but I will now that we're here and we've talked about spiritual abuse (laughs) and different things. I I have to bring up, you know, if someone's been in a spiritually abusive or spiritually manipulative situation where this person of authority has positioned themselves as the voice of God over your life or as a medium between you and God, like they hear from God for you, or, you know, you have to kind of check in with them to make sure that they're also hearing the same thing from God before you make a decision. Um, Anytime there's that type of manipulation taking place, that can actually disconnect you from your relationship with God, because then you feel like, oh, like this person has a type of relationship with God that I must not have. And your projection of God then becomes through them and their authority style and how they how they speak of God. So I think also just reflecting on how people in positions of authority may have influenced or shaped your relationship with God. And that was something that I had to actually like deconstruct in the sense of, you know, this person was positioning themselves this way and I had to step back and go, wait, I have a relationship with God. I had to rebuild that attachment with God, relearn what healthy relationship with God looks like in his way and not in the way that these humans manipulated him to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I look at in my book is looking at the family of origin and the history of some of the theologians that we really love in the Mm. church. Um, Yeah. Because um, we need to recognize that everyone who does theology or is in ministry is human. And so like if we if we think, all right, well, this is just them hearing straight from God. um, Right. Then we're going to we're going to be led astray because we need to recognize that their, their family history is playing into this. And, um, and we can see pretty clearly like, uh, Charles Spurgeon is a great example. He seemed to have gone through some attachment, like significant attachment trauma. And, um, and so he talks all the time about like, I, I feel like I'm nothing more than a pile of dung. Um, and like, I don't understand why God just doesn't take my life. And, um, and so you're recognizing, like, here's someone that's really struggling with self-worth, with um, yeah. feeling lovable. And then you can see that play out in his theology. Um, right. How is your so, theology filtered you know, through that view? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Whereas we're more likely to be like, okay, well, uh, you know, this, this theologian said it, so it must be true. Um, and not to say that it's not true, but it's like, how do we right. engage in a conversation that we're all flawed human beings interpreting scripture? You know, right. our, our interpretation needs to be understood as like from our experience. So, and we haven't even gotten to the third attachment style. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which I know. No, but this was just so good. I mean, it's so, I think this is so relatable that a lot of people have experienced, you know, and it is important mm-hmm. to talk about how people's theology is still being projected from how they've interpreted what a relationship with God looks like 
based on who knows what, you know, their background or maybe what they were taught or what have you. And that's not to say like, throw everything out. It's all, you know, but just having that awareness, you know, because I have Mm -hmm. seen many different, even across my friends, across the faiths, you know, the church spectrum, how people relate to God differently. Um, and they, and they preach from that type of relationship. And so, uh, it's really interesting to observe. But yes, right, onto yeah. the, the third attachment <laughs> style. Yeah, right, which I think fits in um, because it's shame-filled. And this is yeah. comes from this idea of God is so disgusted with me because I'm so sinful that um, if I, you know, I've tried to be good enough, I'm never going to be good enough. So what I can do is kind of beat myself up and say, like, I know I'm terrible. I know I'm horrible and live in that place and hope that that's sort of enough for God to want to come close. Um, But what we find is that if there's this core feeling like God is disgusted with me, then that doesn't actually create secure relationship. I know for me, just to kind of like put some skin on this. I remember being yeah. a teenager and being like, I, I know God loves me. Um, I know I'm saved, but it feels like God is just keeping me around till I get to heaven when I'm made perfect. And then God will like want to be around me, you know, sort of like I call it like makeover boyfriend theology, that like kind of rom-com, <laughs> yeah. of like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like he's he's not that great. But like if if we, f- you know, fix him up, then like he has potential. He's useful. Um, we'll keep him around. He writes books about attachment and whatnot. I mean, he'll do something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think about myself as a teenager where it was like that was I mean, I, I don't think we outgrow this, but it was such a time where I needed to know, like, God likes me, God delights in me. It's such a hard time. And so just to have this idea of, like, carrying kind of this image of God around where there's someone behind me just disappointed in me all the time, you know, just waiting for me to get better, that doesn't actually create secure attachment. And and that's just a really good picture of what that shame shame-based attachment style is, is this idea of like, you know, God is disgusted with you. Um, and the best hope you have is just to agree with God. Yep. I am disgusting. Um, and, and that really, um, going to that place of, uh, you know, people preaching from different places. I think about different Mm -hmm. churches I've sat in where the pastor up front is like, I need y'all to know, like, you're not as good as you think you are. Like, you're way worse than you think you are. And and maybe that like, pastor know, needs I to know. hear that. <laughs> right? Like, I already know. Like, yeah, right. Like, oh, may, maybe thanks. that's the thing that pastor needs to hear. Like, maybe like maybe that's what God is telling them. Like, hey, like, bring it down a couple notches. But, like, I'm thinking about that person that barely made it to church that day. That's, like, sitting in the back. That's, like all right, like I, like, I just need to know that someone sees me and someone, you know, likes me or loves me. And then to like hear that coming into church, like you might think you're terrible, but you're so much worse than that. And God is so much more disgusted with you. Like that's not a healing message for that person. And, and I think as a church, it's so important that we are, 
are that we're making space for the people that are like barely made it there <laughs> like you know i think that other people that think they're really doing well like we can hold off on attending to them um and i think just that message of like god likes you the way you are it doesn't mean that uh, you're not sinful like um but that idea of god delights in you is something everyone needs to hear so yeah it goes back into this idea of extremes like going to one extreme mm-hmm. or the other right there's that kind of maybe people might say a prosperity gospel extreme where it's just like mm-hmm. oh if you do all this you're going to be blessed and you deserve you know all the you know mm-hmm. all the good and all the riches and whatever and it's very right. self or uh-huh. maybe it's very self-focused gospel mm-hmm. and then you swing to this other extreme and it's like god is everything i am nothing i am no one i'm I'm but dust, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I'm right. a worthless sinner who deserves nothing but sin and death, you know, <laughs> and hell in the grave, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, I think there is, there's a nuance in there. I'm, we're always for nuance here. We love nuance. We mm-hmm. love sitting in the gap where it's just like, hey, we are, we, we have sinful nature, you know. We are not perfect mm-hmm. people and we are in need of God, but also God chose us and he found us worthy enough of loving, of saving, of making his own. Um, mm-hmm. And both of those things can exist at the same time. And I'm just kind of like, can yeah. we all, can we all get there? Can we, <laughs> let's bring it well, in, bring it I, in. Right. And I, and I think that so much of this theology, the, the, the uh, all or nothing theology breaks down when we really embrace that idea of God as a divine parent, which is mm-hmm. throughout scripture, right. right? So Jesus saying like praying to God as father, like that I think is such a good reference. And I have two kids. I love them so much yeah. and I don't love them despite who they are. Right. I love who they are. Yeah. Um, when they come in, um, the room, my face lights up most of the time. I'm not a perfect parent, but you know, they get home from school and it's like, Oh, it's really good to see you. And that doesn't mean that I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I don't, we don't need to talk about your behavior. You're fine. And it, (laughs) it really is, um, just recognizing and, and the attachment research bears this out that we need relationships that are not based on behavior. That is where security comes from. Um, and so we need that security to be there. And then we need to be the, have this conversation about relation or about behavior to be a second thing, which parents know, know about that. We know how to be like, oh yeah, like I love my kid. Like nothing will ever change that. And then also there's this other conversation about like, it's not okay to hit the cat (laughs) or it's not okay to you know, use your voice this way or whatever it is. And I think God approaches us the same way. God is like, I love you so much. And and it's not like, oh, I need you to be good uh, so that our relationship is okay. God is like, I want, I want you to not be sinning because that is what's good for you. That's what's good for your community. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like that prosperity gospel piece, um, I, I I think that there's something there. We just need to tweak it, which is like God isn't all about you. God is uh, all about all of us, right? And and I think that's even to get nerdy for a minute. Like that's <laughs> in my Protestant upbringing. You know, it was um, the Hebrew law was really like demonized, right? Like 
Jesus is over here with grace and the law is over here. But um, even in the book, I dug in with some research and um, both the Jewish community and like Christian scholars agree that the understanding, the general understanding of the law was God saying, you are my people. Nothing changes that. And I want you to have a healthy community where everybody thrives. And this is how we do it. Just in the same way with my family, it's like, all right, like here are the rules on the fridge. Like yeah. we respect each other, but it's not like, all right, you broke a rule. You got to go outside. Like <laughs> you're not in the family anymore. You gotta live right? outside now. Separate. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's where people get really stuck. Sometimes when I talk about um, pushing back on some of this shame filled theology where they're like, well, are you just telling people that they're perfect? And it's like, no, you can totally love and delight in someone and they don't have to be perfect for you to do that. Like, you know, we inherently know that. I guess another picture I yeah. have is me as a therapist. Um, when people come in, uh, yeah, so maybe this is me as a therapist. I'm like, I love to think of God as a therapist. Maybe that's just because of my personal experience. I love but that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a great, people mighty, come in. counselor, right? <laughs> right, exactly. People come in and I'm not like, oh my gosh, you need to get out of here until you get your, your stuff together. I'm like, I'm so glad you're here. I like, like, I like the clients I work with. I, I just see the humanness in them. And I'm like, all right, so the way that your life is going, isn't working well for you. You're, you know, maybe hurting yourself, maybe hurting others. Um, you know, sometimes it's not that sometimes it's just like anxiety and we're working on that, but you know, people come in and they're like, yeah, I, I keep on doing this thing that I don't want to keep doing. And I'm like, all right, I'm so glad you're here. I want to help you with this. Um, and actually, I have a plan. Uh, you don't have to know how healing is going to happen, but you are going to have to take some steps and you are going to have to trust me a little bit. And But I'm also in charge of the whole treatment plan. And I think that's a really good picture of how God approaches us, which is like, Hey, I have your, like, I like you. I have your best interest at heart, not only you, but the other people in your life. Yeah. And I am here to help you. And like, we need to partner together in this um, if, if we're going to move forward. Oh, so. I love that so much. And I'm just going to leave that thought there because we can, we're just going to sit on that one for a second and let that digest. Yeah, I um, kind of shifting gears a little bit here to our relationships with others and how our attachment to God, our attachment style to God is affecting how are we are relating to others, especially those in our faith community or in the church. You know, a lot of times we talk about how how people relate to your emotions is really a reflection of how they relate to their own emotions. So if they are being spiritually bypassing or dismissive or a shame-based approach with you, chances are it's because that's the relationship they have with themselves or that's the relationship that they have with God and it's being projected. And so I would love to talk a little bit about how our attachment style with God or how people's attachment style with God reflects or relates to how people are relating to others in the church, especially because we like to talk about what it means to be a safe place and a safe person. Mm -hmm. Um, I can see how attachment styles would definitely play a role in this. Yeah, definitely. I'm so glad you asked that question because that's something that I 
dug into in the book because I was like, this needs to be more than just like, how does this impact me? I want to know, like, how does this impact our communities? Right. Um, and so looking at that anxious attachment style, um, I, I thought about the religious leaders in Jesus's day. Um, and uh, there's a lot going on there <laughs> with the religious leaders and the spiritual abuse that was happening. Um, and I say uh, religious leaders because that's not just like the Jewish Pharisees. This is like happens in every, you know, we know this happens in every religious tradition. Right. Um, so just want to be clear about that. But what we see with the with the religious leaders is if we took an empathic, uh, you know, kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt and said, here are some people that really wanted to honor God and do it right. They were so worried about their relationship with God that they wanted to make sure to follow all the rules, uh, do it the right way, you know, kind of this perfectionistic faith. But because they were so worried about that, it actually made it really hard for them to see the people in their community that were suffering, which is what Jesus says. He's like, hey, like, look, like, I mean, imagine being at the point where someone is healed from something, you know, like think about the healing that Jesus does on the Sabbath. Someone is healed and your response is, uh, yeah, it's good to heal people, but you did it wrong. You know, like to be in right. that place <laughs> is, is so telling of what it's like to be in that place where it's like, I'm so worried about getting it right so that I can keep my connection with God that I can't see the humans in front of me. Yeah, and that's would you say that's more of the, that's more the shame based attachment or I think I think it like hits on I, like I when I when I think about that I think of bit. yeah you're right yeah I think that's that anxious like I mean you could look at it you could look at all the different strategies but if it's really about like doing it the right way you know that that's what I see um, gotcha, with the gotcha. shutdown uh huh yeah if it's like. Yeah, like there is suffering here, but like we need to we need to do it the right way so that we keep connection with God. Um, then I think that's that anxious, you know, approach. We need to make sure we're checking off all the boxes and doing all the right things the right way in order mm -hmm. to have and keep this relationship with God. And then mm -hmm. that gets projected on everyone else, even if right, they yeah. are in their heart of hearts genuinely serving him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In the yeah. in the book, I talk about A.W. Tozer, who um, is a famous theologian and wrote this book about um, experiencing God in this really um, spiritual, close way. Um, but it, after he died, um, it kind of came out that like he really was so devoted to this passionate relationship with God. And then if you asked his family, they would be like, oh yeah, he was so focused on prayer and doing all the right things to keep connection with God. Like for example, he, he said, I don't, I don't want to be um, distracted by the, the, you know, concerns of the world. I don't want a car because, um, cause I want to stay focused on God which then meant that his wife had to like walk around the cold Chicago streets to go grocery shopping. Um, and you can see Great. like, she's like, I didn't agree to this. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you're like, you can see it's coming from this good place of like, I want to be devoted to God. Um, 
but that's where sometimes when we have that anxiety i when i think of tozer i think of the infant that's like clinging onto mom's skirt like i can't explore the room i can't go talk to anyone else i just need to be like right here so yeah that that's that anxious part right because i'm thinking that then if you have that secure attachment it's like i know god is there i can still explore the my world i can still Mm -hmm. explore ways to live out my faith in the world and have god abiding with me as i explore rather than i need to stay right here and close Mm -hmm. myself off from the world from everything you know which is is a really big message that is that is out there and i would say that i even subscribe to at some point Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think there is that balance but yeah when you recognize like i'm not able to see the people around me that god has given me to like care for that that's a that's a big red flag so yeah um, yeah and then if we look at shutdown um this you know, again, going back to that idea of um, this is someone that no one ever helped me with emotions. I just had to manage it on my own. So I'm just going to my best strategy is to shut things down. And you mentioned spiritual bypassing. Um, it's this like two way street, right? Of like, if I want to be close to God, then I need to not have these emotions, you know, but also I'm going to use my faith to not have these emotions. So I'm going to say, you know, do not be afraid. Okay. Like I'm not worried. I'm not anxious. Like I'm just going to, you know, pretend like those don't exist. Whereas I think, uh, when God says those things, I think it's like the, the way that when I'm walking with my son and a dog barks from behind the fence, I'm like, don't worry, but I'm saying it in a, like I'm meeting him in his worry. I'm not telling him don't feel that way. I'm saying like, hey, like I see you're worried and I'm going to reassure you. Exactly. It's like but, a, it's an affirmation. It's a reaffirmation, right. not a condemnation mm-hmm. of if you fear, then you're this, you know. It's, right. That's something that I talk sinning. about a lot with anxiety. Like God says, do not fear so many times. It's more of an affirmation that he knows in the human experience, we will have fear and he's there mm-hmm. with us. Right. Not as a means yeah. to spiritual bypass. Like God has not given you a spirit of fear. You shouldn't have anxiety, which is what I hear, which is so fun. Right. Um, so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so then what we do is um, it really means that what we end up focusing on in the church, if we're really practicing this or our leaders are practicing this is there isn't room for grief. There isn't room for, for worry. Um, And if we can't hear about sadness or worry or grief, um, the people that are suffering in our community feel like they don't have a place to go. Right. So if it's all about like, we're just going to celebrate, you know, the good things that God has done, then you have that person that's like, I, yeah, I know that God has done good things, but I need right now to be held in my grief by God and by my community. Um, those are people that are not going to find comfort in the church, which I think, you know, if we look at, you know, Paul asking us to, to you know, rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve, like we're missing something if we don't make space for those emotions. Absolutely. And on that note, I just want to pull out what you're saying. And to anyone who is living with a mental health diagnosis or living with a chronic illness or going through grief or just 
suffering in this season of life if you have internalized the idea or the message that you have less of a relationship with God or less of a faith or not as much of a relationship with God than others. That is so not true. In fact, I think that we experience God more closely when we are in that vulnerability. Um, And so just wanted to speak that, you know, uh, just because you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or any mental health diagnoses or illness, that does not mean that your relationship or your attachment with God is any less or any less worthy than someone else uh, who you know, who might, who might not be living with these things presently. Um, and so I just want to make that clear because I hear all the time how that message is internalized through these types of theological messages of your behavior is a direct, is a direct reflection of your level of relationship with God. Um, and that just is not true. You know, even if you're doing nothing, you are, God still loves you. God still, if you are sitting on the couch and you have your feet kicked up and you're not doing a thing, you know, God still loves you just as much. You know, he loves you no less as if you are in the church and you're helping volunteer all three services. The love is the same, (laughs) you know? Um, and so just putting that out there. Yeah. I so appreciate you pausing to make that so explicit and um i gotta gotta plug my friend kj ramsey yes wrote a book about um chronic illness her chronic illness in faith it's called this too shall last um so the the title itself i think is if you're like oh yeah i relate to that um definitely she's so encouraging and uh, yes. really invites people into her experience because these are yeah these are the voices in the church that we need to be listening to the people that have not necessarily been able to I mean that's that's inherent to the testimony model like we want to celebrate the good things God has done but how do we also give the testimony of those that are you know, continuing to suffer and continue to, to try to have faith that God is good. Exactly. That is definitely a conversation we like to emphasize here is for those who are living with ongoing struggles or will have to manage, you know, something for the rest of a condition for the rest of their lives. You know, we like to glorify the people who have instant healing or they go through something for a season and then they're healed. And it's like, Oh God's so great and faithful in their lives, but God is just as, faithful and as much in love with those who he knows is enduring. Um, I know that was mm-hmm. the, that was one of those things when I started learning more about mental health and in, in, in school and training and working with those living with a diagnosis and sitting with them. And as they showed up every week, just like, yep, still having a hard time getting out of bed, still can't do this, can't do that. That really shook the core of what I was hearing a lot in church about this, the instantaneous healing and how God's love and faithfulness is connected to that rather than what about those who might have to manage ongoing conditions, right? Like, what does that mean? Um, so these are really important conversations. So all of that being said, yeah. uh huh. go ahead. Well, the one thing I want to add on to that, uh, that I just think is so neat is um, is that when we look at scripture, that's what we see is what's really unique about Israel is most nations would get conquered by another nation 
and they would say, okay, well, whatever God is of God of this nation must be better. So we're going to assimilate and, and change religions. Um, and Israel is like, nope, like <laughs> we were, you know, captured and, uh, you know, taken into captivity. Um, and still we believe that God, we are God's chosen people and we are still committed to Yahweh. And so I think just it's so helpful to recognize, like, when we look at the story of scripture, we can find some companionship in that with a bunch of other people where things continually did not go right um, and still knew that God was with them. That is such a great parallel that I didn't even think of. And now I'm going to meditate on that. This idea, yeah, that God's relationship with Israel, they were his people, they are his people, but still they went through captivity. They went through slavery. They went through suffering. They went through persecution. And still they said, we're, we're still going to stick with God because we know his goodness and he is with us. And so this idea that Israel had this timeline of ongoing on, you know, up and down suffering, but still maintain that relationship with God as, as his own, um, is more of a reflection, mm -hmm. I think, of real life, right? So, mm -hmm. so great. Thank yeah. you so much for, you know, everything that you shared today. Thank you so much for your time, <laughs> for the work that you're doing around attachment and faith. Um, I would say, what is, if there was anything you wanted someone who's listening right now to take away from this book or this idea of, you know, the role of attachment to God, what would you want them to take away? My biggest hope for this book is that people can read it and be like, oh, I've had this feeling before and I didn't know why I felt it and I didn't know that I was allowed to share feeling it, right? So, um, you know, for me, it was that feeling of like, yeah, like God doesn't really like me and um, God's just keeping me around till I can be made perfect and, and then I'll really belong, um, and it's like, where do you talk about that in the church? You know, it can sometimes be hard to put into words. So, and yeah, so that's been my hope. Part of that comes out of my, uh, experience and heart as a, an attachment therapist where, um, really I, I just believe that if we can slow down and notice like what is going on here, what are these dynamics, um, First of all, we'll be able to understand, oh, it makes sense that I feel the way that I feel. It makes sense that I feel like I have to shut down my emotions to get close to God or whatever it is. And I think recognizing those patterns then points us down the path to figure out, all right, what then does a healing, secure relationship look like with God? So, so good. Um, so that's my hope is people are engaging with it. Understanding our attachment relationship to God and where that come from, comes from gives us the awareness and allows us to get to the root of how we're relating to God, why we're relating to him that way. And if we really need to reconstruct and heal the way we've been relating to God in the way that we understand how he relates to us. And that is life changing. So how can, how can we connect with you? Where can we get the book? Where can we follow all the things that you're doing? Obviously, we're going to list all these things <laughs> in the show notes so you guys can connect with Crispin directly. Uh -huh. um, but let us know. Yeah, so I'm on, you know, all the socials. Um, I, I uh, 
Twitter and Instagram. And also I've been doing some uh, spiritual attachment styles according to pop music on TikTok. Yes. Um, <laughs> you've seen one of my TikToks. I love them. They're so good. Uh, attachment styles. Uh huh. Um, and so, yeah, you know, uh, there aren't that many Crispin Mayfields out there. So just search for me. My book is available everywhere. You can go to attachedtogod.com. Um, if you are an audiobook person, what is so neat is the person who read my audiobook, uh, Mark Sembi, I think I said his name right. Um, reached out to me um, and was just like, this book was so meaningful to me. I had to try to not cry as I was recording it. Um, so that has just been like so meaningful to me to know that like, if you're that audiobook person where you're like, I just need to hear, hear it. it. Just yeah. It's so cool to know that the person that's reading it is not me, but like also resonated really deeply. So it has been a really, really neat. Yeah. Oh, yes, guys. If you love this conversation and you want to hear more about this, you want to dive more into this topic, get his book, Attached to God. And there you can read all into it, or like he said, listen to it on audio and just kind of let it filter through your ears and your soul. Um, and so, yeah, and you can stay connected at the link in the show notes. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you, Crispin, for your time and for being here. And I'm so glad we finally got to, I was looking, I was so looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> I, yeah, I am so glad we got to connect and just love the work that you're doing. Like I just am uh, so grateful. I think we need to continue to have these conversations about mental health and faith and, um, just really appreciate I, I as a fellow podcaster I know the work yeah. that it takes and so thank you so much for the energy that you've you're investing in this thank you I appreciate that on that note guys thanks for tuning in until next time <laughs>